Welcome to Education Suspended, a podcast focused on exploring, engaging, and dialoguing with those in education who are passionate about changing the status quo and evolving the archaic system we have inherited. Education Suspended is a production of Intricate Roots Educational Consulting Services. Our editor and production manager is Katie Kuneen. Our producer is Jamie Higa, and our music is provided by Poets Row. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Education Suspended. Jessica Pfeiffer here, one of your co-hosts. Thanks for joining us. We have a really good episode today. We sit down and connect with Stephanie Brown. Steve and I have both had the privilege of working with Stephanie, and we actually go down memory lane a little bit about how we all first met. She brings so much good insight to us as the school year starts. She has worn a lot of hats. She was a teacher, became a school counselor, turned principal. Now she's got a a district position that focuses on giving back to the teachers. She actually says in this episode, if we pour into our teachers, our kids will be okay. And I couldn't agree more. Her capacity to bring a systems lens that focuses on prioritizing our educators is paramount. And we really dive into that. She talks about different strategies that she used as an admin to ensure that she focused on her educators. And it was just really interesting to hear the stories that she had. We had been trying for a while to get her on. So it was such an honor that she joined us. As the school year starts, we're, we're thinking of everybody out there in their buildings, in their districts, supporting staff, supporting teachers, supporting kids. We appreciate you and love all the work that you're doing to shift this system. Please take care of yourselves and thanks for listening. Sit back and enjoy Education Suspended with Stephanie Brown. Hey, how are you? Living it up. It is good to see you and I'm glad that we're in the same time zone. When did we go down and see you, Stephanie? How many years ago was that? More than three. I think four. I've been on the NME journey, I think for six. And I think it was a year and a half in. I can tell you, me met Stephanie in 2017 in Nashville. Yeah. Yes. October. Denver. And then you all came to Illinois. I'm like the Matt y'all can't get rid of. Don't, not happening. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. Let's jump in. I know we could go down memory lane, but you have so much to share, which is why we wanted to have you here. And we start all of our podcasts the same. If you would introduce yourself, tell everyone it is what you do how you got there. And our favorite part is if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your own educational journey. And is there any connection to what you experienced and what you do now? We'd love to hear that as well. So I'll hand it off to you. Awesome. Thanks for having me today. I'm super excited to be with you. This is an honor. I absolutely love this podcast and have listened to almost every episode. I am Stephanie Brown, and right now I'm serving as the staff and student wellness coordinator in a a district that's close to my home. There are seven schools here, so we serve ECE through high school, so that's super exciting. I'm actually just like 15 days on this job. Not haven't been doing it for very long, but super excited to connect with you both and, and share more of what that looks like. Previous to this, I've taught English in Mexico. I've been a counselor in two different high schools for a decade. And then most recently, I was an elementary school principal. I've worn a lot of hats in the education field, but I will tell you, I choose to serve as an educator. It's, it's really near and dear to my heart. I absolutely love it. So I actually think this is funny because I love hearing when other people share this on the podcast and I had never thought about it until y'all started asking people that. 
I have a lot of different adversities as a child. And so as I started reflecting, I absolutely there's connections. And I was the child that had, a this will not surprise you, a ton of energy and was constantly asked to sort of simmer down, right? And so my elementary school years, I remember um, teachers just really thinking probably that they wanted to get a hold on me because if they got a hold on Stephanie, the rest of the class would sort of have a different tone. And then when I was in junior high, they actually asked me. I had different teachers say, you know, you're a leader. We need you to do X, Y, and Z. If you're calmer, other people will be calmer, but I was always pulled aside. My desk was always away. I was just a talker. I needed connection with people. I know a lot about that now. Like I think I was starving for connection, but at the time I had no idea clearly. And then once I got into high school, I found some teachers that I feel like really invested in who I was as a human. And so it was a different relationship for me. I wanted to then be a good student and and to learn and grow. It was fun for me to actually think about that and reflect because I feel like it's my responsibility to use my abilities now as an adult to share what this might mean when a child is doing something that maybe they just don't know. Teachers just maybe don't think like that. Can I ask you to unpack one thing about the high school teachers that saw you? What, what did they do to be effective that way? As, as I reflect back, I would say just taking time. And I think it was just the small incremental, how are you those moments? And then I had coaches. I loved sports. And so it was really those that played that dual role. They were a PE teacher and a coach and they held high expectations and would not let me fail. And that was important. And so I always want to tell the educators, you don't have to be everything for everyone. Keep them to high expectations, show up and be predictable. Some days you can't be happy in a pushover and the next day be super stern. I mean, the people that I look back that really influenced me were the same all the time. I knew what to expect. They yeah. held me to high expectations. And then they did just have an extra, hey, how are you doing? For example, my dad was pretty absent. And so they recognized that and wouldn't just ignore it, but say, hey, I'm sorry, he didn't come to senior night or whatever, those types of things that are a big deal. And that just meant a lot now that I'm reflecting back. I don't know mm -hmm. that at the time I thought, well, thank goodness, this person's holding me to high expectations and bringing this stuff up, but it is a big deal. And it was for me, for sure. I like this, this high expectations piece. How do you think they interpreted setting high expectations for you, but that they also felt developmentally appropriate? At no point, it seemed like it probably pushed you over the edge. They just met you where they were at. How did they do that? And what was your experience through that process? Good question. So I would say I'm going to look at it through my team lens because it's easier for me when I was playing a sport. The high expectations were for all of us. So it wasn't like, oh, feel sorry for Stephanie. And I wasn't the only one on the team that had different things happening, right? But like, it wasn't just for me. It was for all of us. There's a lot of power in that. And I hope it makes educators feel like, okay, that's doable. Sometimes I think we feel like we have 25 students and we have to do 25 different things. And there are times when we do need to, but specifically with high expectations, I felt like it's comforting to know that I'm the same in the expectations as this child, even if we didn't come in the doors, the exact same experiences. I like that you brought that up because I think it's, it's hit or miss. There's definitely times and I'll probably just go on a tangent here, that we have to adapt for some of our kids. And there's this, I wouldn't say fear, but a lot of times I get this message, oh, well, everyone's going to know this kid is different. But if you're able to norm your ability to meet all the kids where they're at, mm -hmm. not everyone's going to pick up on that. So that's what's coming up for me with that team mentality. Your teacher had the ability to do that with everybody. So it didn't really stand out that maybe this person needed this and this person needed that. They just knew that the teacher was good at doing that. And I must say that it was all relational. 
right? Like at that point, I probably received the high expectations because I felt respected. I did respect them. I felt like they cared about me. And so it's all in my mind, it's all about relationships. And so, I mean, those are the people that I had a relationship with me that were able to do that. If it was just somebody that I didn't feel like it was a whole package, I probably would have felt like the expectations were too high. But now reflecting back, I think it's the relationships, the expectations, all of the things together. What's coming up for me right now is the irony of this, Stephanie, that you're bringing up the irony that it was relationships that led to the ability or the chance to have high expectations. In our social and emotional wellness attention that is coming today, so many educators are worried that, oh, we're going to be too soft. We get accused of coddling kids. And isn't it ironic that in the relational quality that you experience, the expectations could then be raised? And I'll be honest with you, I've reflected a lot on that piece of my growing up, but I've also used that because it is the same with adults. So as I was a principal, I knew that if I had a relationship with my staff and that's my jam, that they would then rise to expectations and I could hold them to high expectations, but I had to know who they were and meet them where they are at. And it is all the same with kids, Mm -hmm. adults. I mean, that's how I led and I feel like it works. Stephanie, go, go more into that as a principal. Well, I recognize you have a new role now, 15 days in, congratulations. You you were principal for years. And Steve and I both saw that relational component that you brought in that was it's a game changer. I think what I'm curious about is a lot of districts are starting right now this week or started last week and kids are coming back. And the worry was that we weren't going to have enough educators <laughs> and we're actually hearing about it. It's hard to hear. So how were you able to put that front and center, this relational lens? What impact did it have? How did you see it benefit your adults and therefore your kids? And did you get any pushback? Was there district pushback about how you led? So relationships are kind of just who I am. And so I needed to know who people were. So I just tried to be intentional about spending time with them and getting to know them as a human, not just as a teacher. I feel like we are really losing people because we need to get the human aspect back into teaching. We know that you can ask somebody to be a teacher and parent later. It's not reality. We're asking just so much of people And it's hard and it's exhausting. And when the emotional well is not high, it just is draining right now. And so I think those that are surviving in the field are those that feel connected to the culture, to the colleagues, hopefully to their leaders. But I feel like my whole thing was just to be intentional. And I think at the beginning, the teachers were like, who is this? Is this for real? She's going to wear out. And and I've actually, some of them told me that they're like, she can't, you can't possibly care about us always (laughs) because I genuinely do. I'm still texting. I'm like, Hey, have a good first day. Even though I'm not there with them, because I truly believe if we pour into our teachers, our kids are going to be okay. All of the stuff that I've learned Even this podcast, if somebody's not doing well enough in their space, they can't even hear the things we're telling them through this. They're not ready to hear it. And we we know so many things about that. But I felt that since I know that, I felt like that was what I needed to do for my teachers. And that's how I was as a counselor. It was all based on relationships. I actually did put their names on like a popsicle stick and I would pull them out and grab three. And I'd be like, those people, I'm going to actually make a connection, see their faces. I just really tried to create time and space for people to not only be around me, but each other and really get that connectedness. If anyone is leading, I hope that they can hear that. You just really need to be intentional about having that connectedness in your team and your space, because I think that will take you a long way. I did all this through the pandemic. So it was a little bit crazy, 
when that was happening, we were doing flip grids. We were getting on and it was like, what's your most embarrassing teaching moment? I'd give a prize for all the people that participated because I just needed us to see each other and be around each other. Was it perfect? No. And were there moments of chaos and sadness? Absolutely. But guess what? They would come to me and talk to me about it. And they would give me grace when I would mess up because leaders mess up. I would love to know how you dosed it when you talk about these little interactions with three people on a popsicle stick, how you dosed it so it was okay for you as well as for the people that you were giving your attention to. It really is just the small, small interactions. And we know that those are powerful. It takes like five seconds to really show somebody and light up for them. I also really try to do that light up like, oh, I'm so excited to see you and really make them feel special because they are special. It's basically the exact same things we would do with little kids. I was just doing it with adults. And I will be the first one to tell you I didn't get enough time in classrooms. Actually sitting and watching, my attention would get pulled other places and I would always want to do that. But that's why I did the popsicle stick because I would go and find them just to have that little interaction. But sometimes they were two minutes. If I didn't get a chance to see them because they were teaching, I would shoot them an email. And honestly, I tracked it. I had a sheet with every one of my people's names on it. And I would write the date because I never wanted to go more than a week without seeing somebody. I had 60 people in my building. And so if I was not intentional, the people that are listening that say we don't have time, it's true. I had to make the time. I absolutely had to make the time because it is we're, we're here to serve people. It's almost like you set up a PBIS system for the adults. Yeah, kind of. I mean, that's what I'm hearing because I think one of the, the pushbacks that I tend to give about PBIS is there's not a high level of accountability for the adults. How well are we doing at actually giving this positive feedback to the kids? How are we tracking that? What's that data look like? And you set that up for you as the admin for your teachers. You There is a level of accountability for positive supports and interventions for your staff. My question, Stephanie, is when we talk about to our educators, what are the characteristics that we're looking for? We often talk about four things. We need you to be present. We need you to be attentive, attuned so that you can respond. We talk about that nonstop. Here you are as an admin doing it for your adults. And I wrote down what you said. You said, if we pour into our teachers, our kids will be okay. I love that. What we tend to see missing is it's harder for the admin to do that for the adults, but it it seems like it's almost impossible to have the district level leaders, our superintendents, the people that are making the policies and procedures be attentive, attuned, responsive, and present with the leaders in our buildings. What what was that like for you? Did you experience or do you also see that that has to get better? So I will have to say that I'm super lucky. My superintendent that I worked for as principal, I would say those are his values. He was actually setting up one-on-one meetings with, with every single teacher in our district. We had weekly admin meetings and he very rarely canceled them, even if there wasn't a lot going on. So he could see us I had an amazing model. And then now in this position, I'm obviously um, super lucky because the superintendent said he wants to be known as a district that takes care of his people. And he created this role for me to do just that. I'm helping show blind spots like, yeah, let's tell people to show up and be their best, but we're also doing all these things that are putting a barrier and he's open to hearing it. And so I will tell you, I have been super fortunate that people are receptive. I know that's not everyone, but I'm kind of loud and I don't think I would work. Honestly, I don't think I would do it. I don't think I would be in a district if somebody said, that that's not important because it's at my core and I have to live my values. I couldn't, I just don't think I could do it. Yeah. Cause I think that is a rarity, but first off, I'm glad that that's your story. We need more yeah. of that. <laughs> your face is like, no, it's good. 
<laughs> I feel bad. I feel bad because I wish it was like that for everyone. It needs to be like that for everyone. Yeah. It's actually above them too, I would say. I mean, we have all these layers. They do feel like it's important, but they would say both and. They would think it's important, but we also have all these things. And um, the people that are telling us we have to have these standards or do X, Y, and Z, they're not in the ground, right? They're not here. Yeah. And maybe have never been. There's a disconnect. And I just want the people that are making the decisions and the policies to come to a kindergarten classroom and see what it's all about. There's joy. Kids are light. They're just like excited to be creative and, and be like, this is what it's about. They will get there, but we have to make it realistic and the expectations can be high, but we have to be realistic. And sometimes I feel like there is a disconnect, but the two superintendents that I have have been really good at trying to do both. And I think it's that whole systematic care that we need to really think about. I am curious. We've interviewed another assistant principal during our last four episodes, and she also had somewhat of a mental health background as a social worker. And you bring a counselor, Rachel. Yeah. So I'm wondering what was the impact of having a mental health background as an administrator? How did that benefit you or what could have been any barriers, I suppose? I think both. I started my career by meeting individually with every single person. And there were several tears by me just saying, how are you really? Like, really, how are you? What do you want to see that is your favorite thing about coming to school? What's your thing that you think we need to change? And um, that was really eye-opening to me. I wasn't expecting such emotion to come out of me genuinely caring. And I can't tell you guys how much I heard that. I've never felt genuinely cared for. And this is not a diss against anyone that's ever been before me. But I would say when you ask me what I brought, I think it's that counselor piece of being present fully present with the people that I'm with in those moments. And then the barriers were, I stink at disciplining kids. There's no hammer in my life. I don't have it. I don't even have it with my own kids. I had walked alongside so many students and tried to advocate for them when people were trying to do a hammer that I know there were some people that thought I needed to be a little harsher. So that's my barrier. I just got to share this with you. My first discipline referral was a little first grader who stood on the school bus. So y'all know me and I get this thing and I'm like, okay, so sit down on the school bus. Like, what what am I supposed to do to this kid? Six years old, like this event already (laughs) happened. Like it's, it's over. And so I told him, I I mean, he walks into my office and I'm like, Hey buddy, come here. And I pull out this piece of paper and he all just starts sobbing and uncontrollably sobbing. And I'm like, Hey, just sit down on the school bus. He's like, okay. He's just a mess. Well, the the way the system that was put into place was that then he missed out on the fun that happened, you know, these PBIS things that he misses out on the fun months later. And so he cried with me. And then when the fun happened, he cried. And then when we got on the loudspeaker and say, last call for Kona Ice, he cried again. So this kid gets three moments of despair, I'm going to call it, because he stood on the bus. And he probably stood on the school bus and probably the bus driver told him to sit multiple times. I will say that that probably happened. So then I explained to my staff, I'm like, so if my kid, I have three, if one of my children hit their siblings, this happens in August. And then come Halloween, I said, Hey, you hit Vivian three months ago. And even though we talked about it and moved on, you can't go trick or treating tonight. And they were all like, well, that's absurd. I'm like, yeah. So is taking away the cone ice three months. Like that's absurd. And so I struggled. I struggled with the systems that are put in place because it's just not, it's not in me. I was like, just sit on the school bus. I don't know. That was a little bit of a rant, but 
<laughs> no, I don't think it was a rant. And I'm curious because that's what Rachel jumped into. But how did you balance that then? Because that was her experience that it did not make sense. What she was supposed to do from a quote unquote policy and procedure perspective did not align with what she felt was best practice. So how did you find that balance of like, oh, this is what I'm being told I have to do yet. Here's what I'm actually going to do. I actually started bringing up concepts. Hey, think about it this way. And just the example I gave you with my kids and, and everybody got to their own conclusions. And so there were still systems in place to keep our kids safe because there are consequences that are teaching moments. And I just told them, this is who I am. There will be teachable moments. And so every single time a, a child was sent to me, Obviously, I gave them some time and space to get themselves under control so they could actually talk to me about it. We reflected and there was always an empathy bridge where if I wronged you, I would walk with the child. We would pull the other child out of the classroom and there would be a moment of empathy. Hey, I'm sorry that that happened because I think that's where it's at. And I didn't hammer down on kids, but I, I did give kids consequences all the time, but it was all teachable moments for me and hopefully for them. There was a kid that actually I gave an in-school suspension to my first year and um, he had been fighting on the playground all the time. And in his yearbook that year, his favorite memory of Davenport was meeting Mrs. Brown. So I was like, you know what? You can still hold kids to high expectations. You can still have a relationship with them. And that doesn't mean that they can get away with everything. There can still be consequences, but the consequence has to match what's happening, not just be a system of, well, they did this, so give them this. It just doesn't make sense to me. I love the little equation you put into my head. A consequence equals a teachable moment. And if it isn't a teachable moment, is it even a meaningful consequence? That's what I thought I heard you saying. And that's what I love thinking about at the moment is, yes, natural consequences happen all the time. If we waste the chance to teach, it's not even a consequence. It yeah. will be it'll be forgotten and no change will have happened. And I love the idea of the empathy bridge to get there. I've never heard that term, so I'll steal that one too. You know, one of the cool things that I'm going to get to do as this wellness coordinator is I'm going to call it SEL coaching. So I'm going to tell them, hey, if you're having a kid that's having a behavior in your classroom and you just want to have somebody sit and be a fly on the wall and sort of observe the environment, I would love to have a reflection meeting with you after. And um, people are really excited about that. And I'm actually really excited about that because that doesn't mean that kids are going to be able to not have teachable moments, consequences, but it is going to provide an opportunity for self-awareness of the educator, because let's be honest, they have 25 kids in front of them. And so they don't always know the tone, the posture, what's happening around them. So I cannot wait to offer that to them. Um, but I love your, your equation because that's absolutely how I live. Teachable moment. It has to be. I'll just speak for myself in classrooms, even as a parent, the more dysregulated I am, the further I move away from the teachable moment. It's just very reactive. It's very impulsive. And it becomes more about just compliance and being punitive. I also like that you have that, that empathy piece because, again, there's a, a level of accountability for you as the adult. of Like, hey, what's the purpose? What is this serving? What skill am I trying to build? I always tell everybody, I tell this to parents too. It's not what it's when I can't do, it's not what I'm going to do or what I'm going to say. It's when I'm going to say it. And I had an example where there's a kindergartner and there was a sub in the room and she's just screaming and they had no idea, just screaming at the top of her lungs. And they got everybody out of the classroom and I walked in and I was like, honey, how can I help you? And she literally stopped screaming and came into my arms and just like wanted me to hold her. We got to have a conversation about how she could handle that differently when she wanted to ask for something, but it wasn't at that moment. 
we think about the what's going to happen to this kid. And this goes for all ages. It was the same for high school. It's not what's going to happen to them. It's when. And, and the empathy bridge needs to be gapped for them as well. Like what impact did you have on other people when you are not handling the situation, but not in that moment of crisis? I'm not perfect. I mean, let me be real. As a parent, it's easier to do with other people's kids than it is with your own kids, for sure. <laughs> At least for me. Oh my gosh, Krista, I, I joke. Krista always asks me, are you sure you do what you do? Because you are the worst. <laughs> like, That's yes. We act like lunatics to yeah. our own kids. She's like, Bye. you're the worst. Our child is hungry. Stop. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. So I want to take the empathy bridge and I want to move it into the work that you do now. So I love your systems lens. We could talk about it nonstop and here you are in a new position. So I want to jump into how are you going to carry this into the, into the bigger admin position. And then you also just brought up something along the lines of SCL. You're going to be doing some, some work with that. I'm really curious as to how you're going to rip down the silo of SEL versus academic. How are you tackling that head on? I can't even wait to tell you about it. I do believe that you shouldn't change a bunch of stuff when you first get started, but <laughs> I've also already had conversations about it's one child. We need one team to talk about them as a whole, not academic and behavior SEL. So we're already starting to have those conversations and I'm better at understanding that my voice does need to be heard for the kids. And so that's empowering me and to be like, it's okay to say these things, even if we don't have to break everything down. But the systems lens, my whole job is to basically pour into the adult. I'm going to offer wellness reflection. I'm going to offer these SEL coaching pieces. I'm going to be at all the MTSS meetings. So if there is a student, they, and they, right now they're separate meetings, academic and SEL, and I don't think they will be for very long, but that's just what's set up right now. I can't even wait. I feel like I have a pinch me job. I literally get to do all the things that I absolutely love and are important to me. And I, I can't even wait. And so I'm starting this thing called Well You. And so on these early out days, so when the time is already embedded, I'm going to offer different topics and people can voluntarily come to learn strategies, to think about how this is in their own space, classroom and home. And that's the huge piece of the systemic wellness. I feel like we're going to pour in into the adults and meet them where they are, but also give them ideas if it's not going well. You're not in the mental health field. SEL freaks you out. Teachers don't think they have the tools or they're not a, not a mental health therapist. And so I can't wait to teach them that they actually are the strategy without any more teaching from me. If I can just point some things out to them, it will be a game changer. They don't have to go back to school and learn how to be a counselor. The empathy bridge from the staff, I just want to touch on that. I've asked for when, when this position was created, I said, I just need time. If you can just give me the gift of time at the beginning of this, I just need time and I want to meet individually with people and ask them what systems they need, they would suggest to be started, what systems they would suggest to be stopped, and what are things and traditions, and Steve always talks about traditions, that need to continue. Like this lets us come and show up to do the work that we've been asked to do. And they've granted me that. And so I am going to be meeting with people and I will be sharing their answers anonymously with the admin. That's an empathy bridge right there. A lot of times as a leader, you think, you know, and you have a pulse and a lot, I'm not saying they don't, but when you could just sit in front of somebody and they know that their answers are anonymous, let's look and see what's really going on with our people and how we need to address it. And so I think that will be really, really insightful. And I've already had some great meetings um, just with that 
time they asked if I could send in a survey and I'm like, no, I need to be in front of people. I need to, I need to start building relationships with them so they can trust me and see me. I love that. That's, that's a change in preposition for me. That's my English teacher coming out. See, Stephanie was an English teacher. I can talk about prepositions. You're not doing something for them, then you're doing something with them. That's a huge difference. If you're a teacher to know that one of your leaders wants to do this with you, include you, value your input, you're connecting and doing it with them. And I think then we got a chance. Stephanie, are you seeing any of the vicarious trauma? Do you have any plans to support with that? Because that, to what you said, Grainer, the the with them, not for them. I think the system can be pretty toxic, unfortunately, at times. And then we give them things like, oh, this is for them, for them, but it's never during the day. It's always outside. And so do you have any insight on how to tackle that so the system can actually support them and be with them during the day to offset that? So I haven't met with a ton of the teachers yet. They just started yesterday. And so my meetings are going to be happening, but we will respond based on what they say. There's an early out coming up in September. And I was just talking to the superintendent about um, what that looks like. And it's on a Friday. And I was like, okay, there's somebody wants to bring food trucks. I'm like, that's a great idea. And how about you just let them be together? Nothing needs to get done that day. And if they can be together, people are starving to be together. So I I say that I don't know about the vicarious trauma. I'm sure. Yes. But I haven't specifically asked educators in this district. I have one more question for Stephanie related, kind of related to that. Obviously, we've listened to you for most of this podcast and we can feel your energy and we can feel that you have a pretty deep well. So I wrote down in here, I want to know about your well. What fills your well so that you can do what you do? So I have a lot of tools in my toolbox. Let's talk about that. I'm in a different season. That's why I feel like I want to share it with other people. I I am genuinely excited to show up and serve, quite honestly. I'm the same person in front of anybody. You two, a kindergartner, a parent, my own kids, because I am intentional about taking care of myself. I have different practices and, and different things that I've put into place so I can do that. Um, but I get filled up by serving others. I really mm-hmm. do. It actually lights me up to know that I can help someone. I heard one time we're just all here walking each other home and whatever that means to anybody, like we all get one chance at this. That's it. One time. And so what an honor to actually be able to sit here with you two and have this conversation and then share this with people that we don't even know are going to listen. But it also goes for when I walk across the street and go talk to a teacher and just get to be that moment of light for that person. So the energy is is in the serving. Yeah, it's serving and connecting. I need people. Shut down time is not good for people like me. Like I, I needed other humans. I need to physically be close to them. My 13-year-old is not loving the touching of his mom. Like I just want to touch him. And he's like, Duh. but I need that physical proximity, that connectedness yeah. um, and serving others is really what fuels me. It took us too long to get you on the podcast. I apologize for that. It's my fault. <laughs> but you you have such a wealth of experience and I'm so grateful that you gave us your time, especially this first week back. It's never the easiest time to get away. You're fighting the fight. You're doing the hard work and it's it's just great. We're grateful for everything that you're doing to shift the system for the adults and the kids, really. Thank you too for being great collaborators and sharing all the information so I can steal it from your podcast and <laughs> bring nuggets of wisdom. That's what I'm doing. So all these people that you have on, I appreciate the forum really and truly. 
Yeah, well, that means a lot. What a great energy for the start of school. This yeah. is a perfect podcast for getting school off the ground. And I'm ready to go teach. Yeah. He's coming out of retirement. There we go. Love it. Look out. There we go. All right, Stephanie, thanks so much. And it was really good to see you. Yeah, you as well. Thank you.